On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Zero Charisma from 2013. Joining us for discussion will be Jeff Chandler, Dungeon Director for True Dungeon. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a bi-weekly movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film from cinema's past, considered but not limited to being a cult classic. As a disclaimer, each episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Episodes available on cultcinemacavalcade.com and iTunes. Like the show on Facebook and follow on Twitter at CC Cavalcade. For questions, suggestions, and all inquiries, contact us via mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Episode 54. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your level 58 co-hoster, Cullen. Alright, let's roll to 14. Today we're here to discuss the 2013 film, Zero Charisma. How about you roll a 20, Cullen, and tell them the plot? An overgrown nerd who serves as a game master of a fantasy board game finds his role as leader of the misfits put into jeopardy when a new initiate enters the group. Zero Charisma is directed by Katie Graham and Andrew Matthews and stars Sam Eidson, Brock England, Garrett Graham, Angie Bird, Cindy Williams, John Golson, and Kate Folger. We're back! As we mentioned last time, Gen Con is coming up, and it's the 50th anniversary. And so we're kind of winding into that, and to celebrate that, we brought someone on who's involved every year in a really cool aspect of Gen Con. He's a dungeon director for True Dungeon, Jeff Chandler. Hey guys, how's it going? Not bad. So, Jeff, right off the bat, I'm sure many of our listeners are like, what the hell's a True Dungeon? A True Dungeon so. is basically like an escape room sort of game. We, um, we have a, a two-hour block where every 12 minutes you go into a new room and you will solve puzzles. You will fight monsters. And like an escape room, you go in and you are actually the person doing what's going on in the room. Unlike a normal role-playing game where, as Cullen mentioned earlier, you know, you roll a 20. That decides what happens in the game. In this one, you don't just go up and say, hey, DM, I would like to blah, blah, blah. I roll a 20. Do I succeed? No, in this one, you can walk up and interact with everything that is in the room and you can either solve the puzzle fail the puzzle do whatever fight a monster and it takes two hours and it's a whole heck of a lot of fun it's a pretty crowded game when it gets to gen con yes basically the tickets go on sale in two blocks one starts at about 12 on a sunday the next block starts i say roughly four o'clock and they pretty much all sell out that day we run through about eight thousand players 
Woo. Jeez. It's a four-day mm-hmm. event, a four-day weekend, right, for Gen Con? Uh, for two, well, yes, Gen Con's four days. True Dungeon, we run the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Oh, wow, and so we're that's basically, even less days. <laughs> yeah, we're, and we're tearing everything down and getting it ready to ship back on Sunday. How long does it, how long does it take to actually get that all set up? We will go in Monday, spend about six or seven hours in the convention center because then they close it and we have to get out. So we probably set up for roughly 15 to 20 hours, and then we tear everything down in about four. And how long has been True Dungeon been going on for? This is the 15th anniversary of True Dungeon. Have you been involved with it that long? I started year number two. Our friend Dave actually volunteered at Gen Con when it, was, when it first came to Indy. And he got assigned to True Dungeon. He had no clue what it was. It was the very first time they had done it. He loved it, told us about it. We volunteered. And there's probably like four or five of us now who've been with it since year two. Does it get held at any other conventions? Yes. We have uh, uh, ventured out to two other conventions. We went to Origins in Columbus this year. That was the first time we were at Origins. And we go to another convention called Gamehole Con, which is up in Madison, Wisconsin. And sometimes there's a, a local to indie convention called HoosierCon. And sometimes we will have like a room or two or maybe a small dungeon there. It's actually a free convention that anybody can come to. It's, it's really cool. It's a lot smaller, but there's not a lot of room. It's held in a, a much smaller hotel. Yeah, I, I, I uh, did a panel there this year. And it's uh, okay. It's hardcore gaming there. I mean, that's, I mean, there's, there's nothing to... Uh... I guess peruse out outside of it really because the the merch stands and stuff are kind of minimal. At yeah, they have but... like one. Yeah, they have one small little vendors room. Whereas if you go to Gen Con, I mean, there is in the convention center. There's a whole big hall that is just packed full of and vendors they've even all moved over the place. Stuff into Lucas Oil Stadium too. Yeah, this year out on the field of Lucas Oil, they're going to have a. I guess we'll call it a museum. This is the 50th anniversary of Gen Con. So out on the field, they're going to have like memorabilia and things from, you know, the past 50 years of Gen Con. Plus, True Dungeon actually takes place over in Lucas Oil now. They're going to have like Gary Gax's like 20-sided die, I assume, there, right? I have no idea what they're going to have. From what I've seen online, it's supposed to be wonderfully epic, but I have no clue what it's going to be. But they'll probably have, you know, a few of his dice there, I would assume. Do you have any... Uh... Wonderfully epic stories about like any kind of crazy stuff that's ever happened to you during True Dungeon. Oh, there are all kinds of crazy stories. Actually, one of the big things that that I really enjoy, we we take a lot of like we'll call them celebrities. We can take them back, you know, behind the scenes and show them what's going on, so they can like watch the game go on, because they really don't have two hours to spend usually. We've had people from like True Blood, Warehouse Thirteen, Eureka. Just a, a lot of different people. We've had um, authors who have gone through, and it's really cool because you see these people, they look behind the scenes and they're going, wow, how do you guys do this kind of thing? So it's really, really cool. I know there was one time I got to actually play. Since I'm a dungeon director, I usually don't get to have any fun in the dungeon. We went through with the group with Will Wheaton, Felicia Day from the Guild, and actually got to play with them. And as we're going through, we get to the final room, and... It's the first year we had Smoke. Smoke is this great big animatronic dragon. And Will has a, it's a weapon that is very special when you fight the dragon. If you slide and you hit a 20 and your damage dot points to this other dot on the board, it's an insta-kill of the dragon. 
Mm-hmm. Will Wheaton did this. I'm in the group. I see him. He hits the 20. I tell everybody, step back. <laughs> we go. We look. It's lined up. He insta-kills the dragon. He's the only person that did it the entire time at, at, the, uh, at the event that year. It was really awesome. Plus, Felicia Day said that my bard was awesome when I had to sing to her when she was stuck in the gelatinous cube. So, hey, you know, that's, that's all I got. So. <laughs> and now you're on Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Hey. hey, it just yeah. gets better. Come on. Why don't you sing to me, uh, Chandler? <laughs> what, what, what would you like to hear? Well, you oh, know, wow. copyright. We've got to find something, you know, that's in the public domain. I'll, I'll look something up and, and I'll get back with you. <sighs> All right. I'm sorry. I've, wait, I've waited this long for you to sing to me. I can wait a little longer. Trust me. Just the next time you see me, I'll sing to you. <laughs> I'm hold him to that. <sighs> Well, if I sing properly, he may hold me. So we'll see. It's all good. <laughs> I look forward to it. Moving on to Zero Charisma. It has to do with, you know, tabletop RPG. Colin, briefly, since we're in the midst of Gen Con stuff, and there's any, if there's any, like, random Gen Con attendees that are checking out our show for the first time, you have a documentary that we've watched about Gen Con that's equally interesting. Yes. That digs yes, into was- stuff like this. Yeah, it was called uh, Game Masters, and I think it was about people that they mostly played d and I don't think they went into other games. Uh, they focused on three different Game Masters. One guy was the uh, stereotypical Game Master that's kind of a, kind of a jerk, and it's, it's what people are kind of uh, afraid of, that they build the game just so they can kill the characters, and that's kind of what he was another person that was he was very creative uh, he had a difficult time really showing off his uh, creativity to others he didn't have a, an outlet other than this at the time but he, he built and became a, a better person and then there was the one woman that was a game master and she was kind of another stereotype where it was she would dress as a dark elf like when she played or when would go out in like full black body makeup and a white wig and and everything and she it, it seemed like she had a difficult time finding men if that makes sense. you know you know what i mean like yeah. uh, guys that weren't mature enough to date she had a difficult time with that i find that hard to believe <laughs> <laughs> what people that play a fantasy game have hey, stunted development what are you talking about their life between Gen Con. It started at one yes. Gen Con and it ends at the next Gen Con. And it's their life, what they do, but because they're rock stars at Gen Con. And then, and then there's the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah, or, or other conventions that they go to. But it was interesting, and that's kind of what this movie was, the in-between times, yeah. what happened between the panels. It's a fascinating look, and there's even like, I really, that one guy, he like made like a public access show that never took off. And we were, yeah, I think we, we were both like, I wish we could see that whole thing. Yeah, it was. I think it was like Uncle Drax Playhouse. It was something like that, where it was obviously some kind of like Dracula knockoff, and it was. I don't know if it was a puppet. I can't remember now, but it it looked like a lot of fun, and it was something that was you know a, a way for him to express himself creatively. So it was. It looked it looked great, or you know, public access, great, whatever. It yeah. Looked fun. It's a, a documentary. We're not covering it on this episode, but I thought you know that's a good recommendation. Yes, if you if you like this movie, I would recommend finding the documentary Game Masters. Yes. So on to Zero Charisma, Colin. This was your first time. 
It was my first time. I had never heard of this movie until you had mentioned it to me. Yeah. And of course, when you did mention to it to me, you did bring up the documentary we just talked about. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta check this out. Yeah. And then Jeff, I mentioned it to you a while back, and you watched it like instantly. I did. I went out, found it, watched it, and I'm not going to tell you if I loved it or not. Well, we'll say that for the end. He knows how to play the game. Here you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I I first heard about it. It played, I think it played at either South by Southwest or Fantastic Fest. And I'd seen the trailer uh, through various like blogging websites. I'd seen it. I'm like, I, I have to see this. And then I don't think it came out on DVD till 2014. And this was when Cullen and I were planning Cult Cinema Cavalcade. And I, was, I saw it and I was like, okay, I'm going to find a reason to watch this movie. Because it's, for, I mean, to put this movie in there for it. And then here it is. Now, had you but, watched this movie prior to your viewing for this episode? Yeah, this is either my second or third time watching it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm such a noob that I've only watched yeah. it once. <laughs> like you two cool guys. Yeah, we... Sorry. We get together every weekend and we watch Zero Charisma. and just makes us feel good, you know? When you say that, it sounds like you pump iron yeah. and watch, <laughs> watch this movie. Okay, Zero Charisma. Let's just dive right in. I'm sure there's going to be tons of stuff to talk about here. Look, everyone, let's try to keep the geekiness to a minimum tonight, okay? Just be cool. We start up with our lead character, Scott. Colin, why don't you just describe Scott? I would say if an ogre was transformed into a man, that's how he looks. He's also someone that, that dresses like he's on a list somewhere. That's kind of how he dresses. He's hauntingly genuine and real, though. That's the... Yes! <laughs> Sorry to the actor, but he, he's not a... Even for a chunky guy, he's not a very good looker. I mean, he looked, like he looks real. A compliment that, to the movie and his performance. Yeah, that performance. was one of the things I, I noted about the movie was... It, it's one of the few movies that it feels like they are real people. Yeah, it's honest. It's... <laughs> we'll, we'll get into more, but yeah. A stereotype has a stereotype because it fits unfortunately yeah whoever wrote this they clearly know these kinds of people because they exist mm -hmm. and they were i think they are pretty accurately portrayed in yeah. this movie funny thing the people who wrote directed this worked on best worst movie which is the uh, troll 2 documentary ah okay they Very did nice. they did that and then spun into a kickstarter or indiegogo go campaign and got their mm -hmm. money for this so Scott is at the grocery store with headphones, rocking some goth metal. Oh, and... oh you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you like that song because it comes up multiple times in the movie. This movie was made for $25,000, so. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> gotta use... But it's fitting. It's like, yep. No, it is. Uh... This dude loves metal. It's clear that. You he just, has only ever listened to metal. You just know he's he's listening to it and wishing there was like a big like factory fan blowing at him as he was listening to it, you know? A factory that makes sparks. Yes. So Ooh. he's buying like a bunch of snacks and woman at the counter is kind of like, hey, having a party? And he's like, yeah. And then she kind of <laughs> like for like five-year-olds or whatever. And <laughs> and then we, we find he's using yeah. his grandmother's credit card to pay for everything too. Is this the first sad thing that he does in the movie? I guess it is. Yep, yep, this is our open. 
other than his appearance, he can't help that. It's just how he was made, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the grandma's card, that was a decision. Yeah. Him and his buddy Wayne are then driving to go play their tabletop gaming. And I would describe Wayne as someone that makes Kip Dynamite look masculine. It's like, yeah, he's the guy he, that Kip was based off of, you know? And Scott's car. Man, he's, I mean, this is, jeez, this is even more down to earth. Like, he's got figures glued to his dashboard. Do, doesn't he's, everybody? Yeah. He's got <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll keep that to myself. So. <laughs> okay, not anymore. Maybe when I was younger. Right. Maybe when I was role-playing all the time. Maybe I did something like that. I'm not going to say yes or no, but maybe. I did I did the same thing, Jeff. It's okay. Uh, okay. We, we instantly see that he has, like, a superiority complex over Wayne. And just trying to make him feel like dumb at every moment. Wayne's just too weak to ever, you know, tell the guy off. You just you, you get the relationship fully in just this car ride. I have it's experienced bit... this in 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 groups of gamers. I I, I have yeah. actually seen this. So it's they did a good job of of, of the stereotypes. Were you the one that was uh, pushing the the others around, Chandler? Um, I, I'm I like to think so. However, <laughs> however, I can see some of Wayne in myself, so it's it's, it's it's a give and take. That was the thing when I was watching this movie. There, there, there's some stuff that Scott does in this movie, and I think, oh my god, like, I I'm glad that I didn't get that deep into games and and stuff like that. I mean, I play games, but you know, not like they do, where we're just completely absorbed into it because my own life is not great and. I feel that I can control stuff within the game, so that's what I gravitate towards. Mm. I just I just watched the movie, and man, it just it it scared me. I'll tell you what, you know, I'm I'm not a big gamer person or anything, but I could relate to like stuff on different levels with different types of geekdom and nerd stuff. That you know, all of a sudden, every time you watch this movie and you sort of relate to Scott, you're like stomach sinks. Like, oh, oh, did I do that? Maybe he is kind of like, you know, because when you first see him, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy. And then this guy starts scaringly relating to things about yourself. You're like, oh, geez. He'll do something like, oh, that looks awesome. Wait a minute. I shouldn't like that. That's terrible. They start playing their game and there's Kenny is playing with him. He's an old, he's like a well, he looks like the guy who got off like a real job and came to play with them. Mm. And he's constantly checking his phone. And during this game, you can tell it's just Scott is a complete control freak. Funny, Scott's grandma comes in the middle of the game. It's like <laughs> the kitchen coughing and throwing stuff around and telling Scott to like do stuff as Scott's trying to play out a dramatic portion of the game. And she's like, you open this jar. It's like if Cartman was a dungeon master. Oh, geez. That's kind of what it was like in that scene. Kenny ends up sneaking out during this, and two of the other guys playing the game, which I never got their names, the two video guys, show Wayne scenes from their little zombie movie they're making, and they show them on their phone. The grandma keeps giving Scott a load of things to do the next day, and he gets all mad at her. But then she puts him in his place uh, really easy. Wheels. Nana, you promised you wouldn't disturb the game disturbing the game i'm just making myself a sandwich well it's disturbing no you and your friends sitting in there pretending to be elves and fairies and shit that's what's disturbing just stay in your room okay listen mister this is my house and my kitchen and i'll come into it whenever i damn well please okay and you can take the fucking nerd herd someplace else if you don't like it put that stuff back in the fridge 
we'll notice through the movie that grandma's the only person he doesn't really ever talk back to. She says some of the most like honest stuff to him mm-hmm. and pokes fun. And someone else can say something similar and he won't accept it at all. But Kenny, then he's on the phone with his wife. He's having an argument and she hangs up on him and he gets upset saying that, you know, his wife's wanting to separate. And Scott seems, you know, more upset over the game, not being played. And he tries to console Kenny by saying, uh, we could, we could take our break now. <laughs> then Kenny just kind of laughs and, you know, leaves. And he's saying he's not able to play anymore because, you know, he wants to try and fix his marriage, of course. And clearly. The game or the marriage? Come on, guy. Scott did say that they had been in this story for three years. Yeah. Well, that's C. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> that's guys. An, that's an investment of time. And unlike a marriage. He gives one last effort to keep Kenny there by telling him his wife's a bitch. And then Kenny yes, leaves his, nice. his character to be played as an NPC. Well, I love that, like, when he tells him his wife's a bitch, you expect him to turn around like, you know what? You called it as you see, as you saw it. Let's play. Let's go. Let's get in there. Pour me some Mountain Dew and put some Doritos on top. We're playing a game. You know what, Scott? So what, You're right. <laughs> <laughs> what does Scott do with player character that that he said can become an NPC? He tore it up. Tore it up. Just tore it up. Big time. And you yeah. know what I, I love about the movie is they just straight up leave it NPC they don't they don't sit and go what do you mean his you know what is it a non-player character or something like that not not playable yeah non-playable character they don't sit and spell it out for you it's just lingo it stays and it's not you know i didn't even think about that because you know i know those terms but i, I didn't even think about someone might not know what those terms mm-hmm. are but at the same time if you don't know what that means you're probably not watching this movie this movie's probably gonna, not for that person yeah. i was gonna say they they know their audience because there's other things that come up later when they start just doing things they don't say oh well you need to do this you need to do that they just do it they do a better job building their universe than dune <laughs> oh we're not gonna start this are <laughs> no we? we're not going okay that was that was multiple episodes ago uh come on. scott's uh scott's room is a fantasy art haven, and, awesome. and he's calling around to get people to replace Kenny, but nobody wants to join him when they find out he's the DM or, like, they just don't like him because he's done something to them in the past. Like, this guy has burned all his... His world is his grandmother's kitchen. It doesn't go much further than that, and he's exhausted about everything out of it. There's one thing he's not exhausted about, uh, cleaning his room. Uh, can we can we talk about how yeah. gross his room is for one moment? Like, there's the socks and underwear and his clothes. There's like a sheet of filth on the floor. If you walk in there, you're going to need a tetanus shot when you leave. No, him and his grandma are not very cleanly. But there's probably like not raccoons just, living in there. He's done that by example because as we'll see, the grandmother's not very cleanly either. So, mm-hmm. but when I, when I saw that floor, that was one of those things that. He did, and I got scared for a moment. I was like, oh, God, if I'm not careful, that could be me. Because I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I don't shit in the floor like Scott does, because that's what the, the floor looked like. But, you know, I'm not terribly tidy. I think we all, like, I mean, I've been through that. Like, in college, I was tidy. I <laughs> We cared about but, but, other but, things. Cause cleaning, cleaning would take time away from other things. But Scott's a grown man. It's not like... I don't know how old he is. He's not in his 20s. I want to say... The, he. I'd say he's late 20s. Maybe. I don't know, man. Maybe. It's hard to tell. It really is. I mean, he kind of could fit any... God, what he's if he's very fit? stereotypical. It's good. What if he's been playing this since the very beginning of D&D? What if he's that old? 
I don't know. Since Ooh. the beginning. Uh, at the Donut Taco Palace 2, Scott and Wayne are interviewing a Kenny replacement, and he's a video gamer kid, and he's trying to sell the kid on ancient communal storytelling. And once the kid says he's into World of Warcraft, Scott yells at him and sends him away. Because... It's so funny because Scott gives this really nice speech about role-playing games. You can tell it's his passion, and it's the thing he cares the most about. So we sit at the table. Building worlds, building characters, building heroes. Seeing through them as through a prism, our own fears, our own goals, ourselves. Think your Xbox can do that? I don't have an Xbox. Good for you. I play World of Warcraft though. Let me tell you something. MMORPGs are fucking garbage. Take your character sheet and go back to Farmville! See, he doesn't even really crap on it. He just spends like, I, I play World of Warcraft. He's like, get the hell out of here! Like, Jesus. It reminds me of the scene in Free Enterprise where they're at the toy store and they're teaching the kid about Logan's Run and the kid goes, I like Men in Black. And they're like, get out of here. <laughs> we find that Scott is just on his work break doing this. He works at the Donut Taco Place. Two, which means there's a donut taco place <laughs> one somewhere. Or was it, I think it was Taco Palace. That oh, makes yeah. it even was it Palace? Yeah. Hell, I wrote it down wrong. Okay. <laughs> like, I want to know, like, they don't really go into great detail about the food there, but are they making Mexican food out of donuts? Or what's going on inside that place? Yeah, what's a donut taco? Come on. I mean, I don't know. Is it, yeah, like if the shell is made out of donut? I'm saying... I'm not going to say I'm going to eat it, but I'm saying I'm listening. <laughs> Franchise that thing. You already got two. I mean, if Krispy Kreme can make the hamburger where the donuts are the buns, why not have a donut as the taco shell? That's my America. I would think you could make like an elephant ear taco. That's kind of donut-y. Oh, that's perfect. Ooh. Oh, and man. That sounds good. State yeah. fairs around the nation. Listen to us. And I want a proper taco, not like some kind of dessert taco garbage. Nope. I want Correct. meat, lettuce, and cheese inside an elephant ear. You know what? Because I'm American and I'm entitled. It's not that Put far that off because it would taste like a churro stick, kind of. So it's in uh, the family. It's in the wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Donut tacos. <laughs> do, or elephant ear tacos. Doing it. I'm coming for you, State Fair. Get that hashtag out there. <laughs> she she wants his boss wants him to take a delivery and he says some racist stuff to her and she gives it right back and he's delivering the food to the tabletop gaming store the wizard's tower the employees poke fun at him once like a guy with cerebral palsy i think is that's probably what he's got just judging sure. by his his uh gear mm -hmm. they poke fun at him and he's trying to tell me oh i'm just doing it till i find a publisher for his game and then he gives them shit about doing things wrong at the store and then we find out the scout was fired from there and business has improved to like 200 percent since he was let go and they have gaming nights that have improved even more nights a week and then pete the assistant manager which there was a, a rift because pete got promoted and scott didn't that caused scott to end up losing his job there he shows him a cardboard stand up there having greg goran one of scott's idols of tabletop gaming scheduled for a q a there and while they're in there a, a hipster looking guy comes to the register 
and is asking about games. He's like, yeah, I haven't played D&D since high school. I think it'd be fun to kind of get back into. And they give him just this random piece of paper of stuff. And then Scott grabs him on his way out and offers him to play his homemade game, taking Kenny's spot. And we find out his name's Miles, and he accepts the invitation. At the game that, that night, the filmmaker guys are arguing over <laughs> Star Trek Voyager. Scott tells him to keep the geekiness to a minimum for Miles, because he's coming over and he's super cool. And Miles is at the door, and they have a weird, can't get a handshake or a high five down, so Miles just gives him a hug. He introduces him to the gang, and then Miles has a six-pack six of beer and offers to, to it, and they're all like, what? <laughs> It's weird. Scott Scott mentions he's allergic to alcohol. And then there's this moment where Wayne goes to get one out of the six-pack, and and Scott gives him a look, and he just, no, he goes back. He's got like a passive-aggressive mother thing kind of going on there. The question of which is faster, the Millennium Falcon or the Enterprise, comes up, and Scott says that that question can't be answered. Miles then pulls out and answers it with, like, mathematics, research, all this evidence to... But there's no adequate conversion table between warp factor and hyperdrive. Aha! But in episode four, A New Hope, the uh, Millennium Falcon travels from Tatooine, an outer rim system, to Alderaan, a core system, in just a couple of days. Now, that's about half the diameter of a galaxy. Now, even in a small galaxy, that's at least 5,000 light years. 5,000 light years in just two days? That's almost a million times the speed of light. So I'd have to say the Millennium Falcon's faster. Then the guys are excited and they're like, Scott couldn't even figure this out. And that's the moment where Scott begins to turn. And the night goes on and they're playing. And Miles plays with really big enthusiasm and he matches wits with Scott. Miles gets a text from his girlfriend and he's talking about how he gets sex all the time. He's like, yeah, you know, and she wants it all the time. You can't believe it. He's like, you know what I mean, guys? And they're all like, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yep. Another sad look into their lives. She needs it all the time. He's always exhausted, remember that. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I did notice about the game, I have never seen a smaller DM's screen in my life than the yeah. one that Scott has. Yeah, yeah. It, is like, it is like maybe six inches high by maybe four inches wide. It is so small, it kills me. Sorry, go ahead. It but, probably, but I well, digress. It, is, it might be custom because Scott's making oh, this game. That's but, right, he made his, uh, it's his own rules. So. But it could be like a, a filmmaking choice so it didn't cover him. Although Scott's a big guy, I don't know. Uh, it would take a lot to cover him. Or maybe he's just or, so big it looks small. Maybe well, it that, is. Maybe it's full size, yeah. I also wonder if they made that smaller to make him look bigger, or if that's, that's just a coincidence that you know it's like, all right, I'm I'm bigger than the world I've created, or you know something oh. like that. Yeah, maybe oh, it's I, a decision on his part. Yeah, I, mean, I might be reading too much into it. There's maybe so. But give us your fan theory, folks. Please don't do that. Please don't don't do that at all. We want fan theories. Come Two on. Two weeks in a row, calling in his fan theories. <laughs> he prefaces. They're only going to get better. He prefaces. I don't like fan theories, but here's what I think. <laughs> so after the game, Scott and Wayne are hanging out, and Wayne thinks that he thinks Miles is great, and pointing out the ironic and funny way he played the game, aka probably like Brandon played D and D sometimes back in the day. Guilty. Scott argues that humor is easy, but thinking and investing in the story is much harder. And he catches <laughs> Wayne checking out a girl on his computer that he wants to ask out, to which Scott tries to talk him down by shooting down his confidence. 
And then something terrible happens. And then he tries to pop a zit on Wayne's face by throwing him on his bed and just consuming him. Did that not look like a sex scene to you? It looked it, like it looked like a Joe Don Baker sex scene. That's what. It... <laughs> oh, the sweat. Where all you There's can see is one person. <laughs> like I, I was watching it, I was like, "Did I just watch like a rape scene?" But instead, it was a zit. That was it was really uncomfortable to watch. But but I think that it was another thing that really showed the relationship between them mm-hmm. because he pops his zit and they both fall down exhausted which ugh, gross but then <laughs> wayne still stays the night yeah he's like want to have a sleepover yeah they're two grown men and he sleeps in scott's bedroom next to his bed like a dog uh, wayne's like just asleep and then scott wakes him up by throwing something just to talk some dumb stuff about you know i'm funny too and then scott's grandma's saying something from the other room that she they think he's they think uh you know, she's just mm-hmm. telling him to shut up, and then you hear a crash, and then we're in the hospital, and we find out she's had a stroke, and Scott calls his mom, who he refers to as Barbara, who says she's coming to visit, and Scott's like, no, 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 and she's like, you're my, it's my mother, I can come see her. Scott takes his grandmother home, and this is funny, she's sleeping in her bed, and he takes this little, like, mirror for, like, her makeup and puts it under her nose to see if she's still breathing, and she wakes up and is like, you wish... What if he actually did? That would be I, sad. I, I don't think. I don't think he wished. I don't think. No, I think he was just trying to check without touching her. Like I, I think he. I don't think Scott wants his grandmother to go. He wouldn't be an awful loss for him because that's his constant. That's, that's the only thing that keeps him grounded is yeah. his grandmother. His mom shows up and introduces him to her boyfriend Bob. Who is Bob? One of the best characters in the movie. I don't know. I. <laughs> I like Bob. Yeah, Bob's all right. I, I mean, I think he's trying to be nice. I I, I can't tell. He's like, uh, I love it when she introduces Scott to him. You know, says my boyfriend, and he goes, "Hey, buddy, it's so good to meet you. Your mom's told me a whole lot about you." Like what? Well, uh, that well, you're her son, and uh, you. I was like, yeah, and uh, the mom. Well, she... She doesn't know because she, you know, yeah, exactly. left when he was a kid. So, so you were introduced to another unredeemable character. Mom comments that the house looks the same, and she's like, "Have you been stuck in a time warp?" And she goes to see her mom and tells her that her and Bob are getting married. Grandma's like, "You know, she was part of a sex cult, right?" And Barbara's like, "It was an agricultural commune." That's what they just call banging in the dirt. She tells her that by fall she'll be married and have a, and be a registered nurse. And the grandma isn't too positive on this whole thing. And Barbara gets really upset. So we got this three-way of dysfunction going. If you stopped with three-way, that would have been bad. Right. <laughs> grandma, no! Scott's painting one of his figures, or game pieces, I think is what he's painting for his set. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, shirtless, narrates the character's like history and stuff, and he plays out a scene with him fighting the Goblin Queen. And then Bob walks in on him, thinking it was a bathroom. <laughs> we get shirtless Scott, who's an enormous human being. And w- when I saw it, I was like, God, I hope he's not naked. That's just a whole other layer of sadness if he's sitting naked in his room painting. But but he's just in boxer briefs, but it's still not a great sight to well, it's see. Funny, well, going back to it now, we'll find out later. He he's uh 
no stranger to being caught jerking off. Again, like, hey, Scott's a pretty sad character. Oh, wait, no, it gets sadder. Fantastic. Bob then comes in and asks him if you into wizards and shit. I guess. I saw those Lords of the Ring movies. Eh? They were pretty cool. Not so sure about those hobbits, so you know what I mean? <laughs> huh. oh, you, uh, you a Cowboys fan? What do you mean, like Westerns? No, like Dallas. Oh, football, no. Hell, it's hard to believe they let two backs run up over 100 yards against them when all last season it didn't have them 25% of all the games. Yeah, well, I'm going to bed now, so. Right, sure, well, have a good evening. Close the door. I love the question, you into wizards and shit? Because he didn't need to say and shit. He could have just said, are you into wizards? Because when he says and shit, that basically means, are you into wizards and stuff that I have no interest in? Right. Because it, it's the equivalent of shit to me. Uh, the next morning he wakes up and Bob's like in the attic, which is in the hallway right outside Scott's door. He's on a ladder there. And then Barbara's cleaning and it upsets Scott. And he tells her, you know, tonight's game night, so they need to either stay in the room or go out. And they argue about it. She goes, you sound just like you did when you were 10. That tone of voice made it easy for me to leave, which, jeez. I, I didn't love her before, but when I saw that, it's like, oh, okay, so you're the villain of this movie. That's great. You're the, you're the one that set all of these awful things into motion, because if you didn't abandon your son, maybe he would have grown up to be a nicer person, and you wouldn't be here right now, so... I don't give a shit what happens to you now. Well, during the game, uh, the guys are showing Miles their movie. Blood Brigade. They always show the same scene where it's some guy <laughs> just yelling, Let's rock and roll! <laughs> He's just firing off this huge gun. I, I just love that because they've picked a line, people that think like uh like we need him to say something cool and badass let's rock and roll that's badass right like that is decidedly one of the least badass things you can say because it's so overused miles then tells him he could put a link on his website which is a pop culture website called geekchic.com. he's the founding editor and they are like what we're huge fans of that site and as they like oodle over that scott's like i've got a blog too and nobody gives a damn and Scott gets worked up in being threatened by, you know, what Miles has. He goes, well, you know, 14 visits a week isn't nobody. Who's visiting his site? Because no one likes him. Who are these 14 people? He's going to 14 different computers around right. the city <laughs> and, and checking, yeah. <laughs> it's like a real shitty click farm. His mom then comes in and tells him they're being too loud and need to pack up and go. And Miles says, hey, we can play, we can play at my house and... And Scott then goes, Barbara can stay at a motel if she doesn't like it. So then she decides she's going to play the game if she's going to be kept up and begins filling out a player sheet. And then she's just listing off things on it that she just knows is going to piss him off. Like, she knows things about this game, but she knows exactly how to get under Scott's skin. She's like, I'm going to be a glitter fairy, like all this stuff. A really sexualized character and that, she, that dress is like Wonder Woman. Yeah, and then she then shares that Scott had to switch schools because he got caught jerking off to a Wonder Woman comic book when he was little. After feeling embarrassment of this story, Scott calls it a night! And everybody uncomfortably leaves. And then Scott goes into his room and he's pissed off. And, of course, he, he blares some metal. And he gets super pumped and punches a hole in the wall, which 
poster falls down, and then he goes to get another poster to cover up the hole, and there was another hole already there. Do you remember what his nickname was that he had before he uh, had to leave school? Super Stroker. <sighs> Just another... Like this whole movie is, you know, uh, you know, Scott's really blaming other people for his own shortcomings. But then there's stuff like that. See, exactly. Where... It's it's weird because as as hit like repulsive as this guy is, you can see where some comes from, but you also feel bad for him. He's got just enough well, to make you not is... completely just turn your back on him. Well, you know, bullies make bullies, and that's kind of what's happened here. Where, you know, his mother picked on him and left him and, you know, the other kids picked on him. And now he's a bully to other people, you know, that play the game and just in his life. And it just, it sucks. He's a full grown man and he's just in this state. It's, it's, it's sad. He's the guy that's like, I want done to them what's been done to me. And we, we have a montage of just Scott Piss doing things like going to work. He goes through a drive-through that's not responsive, and then he's making a, he's drawing like his game board or his plan or whatever, and he spills a ketchup on it, and he gets all pissed. Well, did you notice when he wiped it off though? It was completely. Yeah, clean. it was completely. Like, how did oh, that yeah. happen? How did, how that, did happen? that happen? You can't drop ketchup on something, and it just wipes right off. It was like, all right, something's finally gone right for Scott. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he then starts pulling up to this house reluctantly, and it's Miles' house, and Kendra. Miles' hot girlfriend opens the door and is really kind and welcoming to him. It's probably the first woman that's ever been nice to him in his life, honestly. Or one from that's, what that's, I thought. that's looked like that. A girl that yeah. wouldn't ever, that walks the other way when she sees him at the mall. Like, I would still go mm-hmm. with any girl myself. But. Any girl. <laughs> the other guys are already there and they're all, they've all started drinking beer. Miles is showing them pages from a comic book that he's doing. And while he's doing that, Kendra, she gives attention to Scott because she knows he's, he's late. They're already talking about stuff. And she, you know, hey, you must be pretty creative if you're a, if you're a game master, which they don't call it DM. They call it game master through all this, a GM. But Scott's a bit nervous and up. He comes off as uppity about it, but I think it's because he's like, I have to be cool. You know, he doesn't know how to act, but he thinks he has to be cool to talk about it. And then she asks to see his hands because she's taking some creative course on personalities. And she analyzes that he's very sensitive, but a romantic at heart. And he's like opening up, like, oh wow, like this girl's really into me, maybe. It's also probably one of the the first people that's ever talked to him about feelings. Well, and the yeah, and the source of where it's coming from is like something he's never experienced. Mm-hmm. His experience is with the cashier at the beginning. I think just everyone looks at him and then just kind of writes him off. But she was actually nice enough to actually talk to him like a person, and that doesn't happen to to him. She could have just, oh, you boys in your games, and gone in the other room, or just not been there that night for his game night. And she took interest in what they were doing. Yes, she was a considerate human being. And a host, a good host. <laughs> yeah, not, not many in this movie. Miles then reveals that a big-name publisher may produce his comic, and Scott then says he should be careful, because then Scott tells his story that Wayne's like, no, Scott, no, don't, don't, don't. I don't want to dig up the past, but short version, you know the Matrix. Scott, shouldn't we get the game started? You mean the film with Keanu Reeves? You know who wrote that? The Wachowskis? Tell him, Wayne. Scott. Tell him. Scott wrote a story like The Matrix. I didn't write a story like The Matrix. I wrote The Matrix.
Huh. And he says in 1998, he submitted a short story for a contest and nothing came of it. And then The Matrix comes out one year later. And Miles then asks him if it was the exact same. And Scott then says, well, no, there were some changes made. And his story was called Knights of Circuitry. Miles then explains how Scott's story is kind of full of shit. And Kendra's like, hey, hey, shh, Miles, no. No, no, no. Just shut up. But he keeps on going on about the influences that the Wachowskis had when making The Matrix. There was even a episode of Doctor Who that was like The Matrix. It, one year before, for a film of that magnitude, it's like way too quick to turn it around. And that they were shopping the movie for many years before that. And then mentions that he knew so, knows so because the Wachowskis told them that stuff on their set. And then Scott gets super upset saying they lied goes off about film critics. Scott then cools down and says, you know what? Good luck with this comic. And we cut to the bathroom where we hear everyone's having fun in the other room. And Scott's like crying in there. Like he's I was very down. sad. Yeah, it was, it was super sad. Because, you know, he just, I don't know, wants to be recognized. Someone else just brought him down. He just does not know how to handle conflict at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. and with Miles, he's seeing someone who's, where Scott wants to be or on the mm-hmm. road to what Scott wants that's yeah. able to find outlets and have outlets to the creativity that Scott wants to have and that he also feels threatened because if Miles can do for his group what Scott does, then he probably feels that they'll just dump him because they have no other use. Like mm-hmm. Scott probably feels his only use to those people is as that game master and playing the game. He doesn't probably feel that they want him as a friend either, but he wants them. But he is just such a messed up person, he has a hard time really showing it because he wants to always be in control of them rather than be on their level. And I think there's also another level to it that no one like listens to Scott about what Miles actually is uh, or what he thinks that he is. Uh, I think the first time they played in the, the game, Scott called Miles uh, a tourist Mm-hmm. And that was something I suspected. Like as soon as I saw him, I'm like, I don't think this guy is really into these these things. But I mean, you don't know for certain. He could be nice, and you don't want to make assumptions as you're going through that. And but but Scott is just determined. He's like like, no, this guy is fake. He's not one of us. And that, another layer to Scott's sadness. Everyone's having laughs and fun playing the game and it's just a little musical bit except scott is just giving miles the death stare during this i love that because it was like an everyone loves miles slow-mo going right. on there it yeah, was, it, yeah, was, yeah. It, was, it was really cool i thought the way it actually played off of coming out of scott crying scott then regroups and tries to play out a sequence but miles keeps interrupting with dickhead attempt at joking and then questions scott's authority and then scott makes an impossible role for him to do to just you know, do away with him and his character, but Miles rolls it, and then he Scott rolls a twenty. It's that character that we saw earlier in the movie when Scott was sitting in his underwear painting. It's clearly yes. a, like an analog for mm-hmm. or avatar, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Scott. So when Miles, you know, attacks him because all he does is like oh, throw a sword at his head, like screw it, right? They were supposed to go like on this big long journey to get these stones. And Miles is like, screw it, I'll just kill him now and take the stones. Like, but you're a hero, we're not supposed to do that. Again, Miles is just 
I'm cool, right, guys? Let's just do it. The first time we, we see Miles playing the game with him, we get more from, like, the everybody else perspective where he looks like he's fun, and it's like, why isn't Scott enjoying him? And now we get it from Scott's perspective where it's like, dude, cool it. Or maybe he's mm-hmm. just built to where he's gotten comfortable with the group and thinks he can just do this more. I don't know which they're trying to tell us, but Scott then has to roll against him and get a 14, and he rolls, and he says he gets it, but Kendra, Scott didn't know, was behind him brushing her teeth and says, no, you rolled a four. Scott then disagrees with her and is like, well, it doesn't matter. And then he fesses up, but then pulls his rank and says he's trying to keep things from messing up, which Miles says, yeah, well, he's just trying to have fun. And Scott then says he has him figured out and that he wants to be king of the losers. And then Miles, this is a good thing. He's like, if you think your friends are losers, that's your problem, which... Nice move, Miles. That was, that was okay. That's true. But but then, you know, Scott also points out that when Miles shared that uh, that movie that right. the friends made. Let's rock and roll! That he was doing it because he thought it was dumb and wanted to show off how ridiculous it was. And that's what I thought, too. Like, it, it's never said specifically, but I, I just got that vibe from I him. did, too. Uh, Miles argues that he enjoys it. I think, you know, I think when Miles originally shared it, he was sharing it to help him out. But eventually it was like, well, maybe people think this is silly and laugh at it. But I don't know. Kendra then tells Scott he should leave. They all want to stay with Miles. And Scott complains about all the work that he puts into this. And Miles says it's not supposed to be work. It's supposed to be fun. And Scott goes to leave and demands that Wayne go with him. And Miles just looks at Wayne and says, hey, do whatever you want, man. And Wayne hesitates, and then he gets up to go, and he but he walks over to Scott and hands his player sheet in. And Scott warns them all that when Miles is done with his experiment and cuts them loose, he's not taking them back. And Scott says if they come with him now, all is forgotten, and everyone gets 500 experience points. He's a benevolent dictator. Yes. That's awesome. That's N- nobody, uh, budge- uh, nobody budges, and he says, fuck you, and then he leaves. Now, Chandler, you're a man. He's played a role-playing game or yes. two in his life. Yeah. If this offer was given to you for 500 experience points, would you have taken that offer? Well, it would depend on what level I was. If I was high level, 500 experience points is nothing. No, mm-hmm. it, it, it would – I don't know. It depended if, if, if I had a bond with Scott and I realized what was going on, if I thought that maybe Scott was right. But mm-hmm. it, it really, at this point, it looks like Scott's just being a jerk. So, no, I'm going to stay with the guy who's having fun because that's what role-playing should be. I do agree with Miles at that point. We should be having fun. That's what this is about. I, so. I, I think with with Wayne, I think what Wayne's doing is – I don't think Wayne's like, I don't want to be friends with Scott. I think he's he thinks that if I go and do this, then Scott might realize that, hey, you're wrong this time. I think, that's what, I think that's what Wayne is trying to convey. Mm. So this is but, Wayne standing up for himself to – help scott yeah that's why i think wayne mm. i think okay. wayne's trying to subtly just be like hey man this is this is the wrong move scott then plays with plays his figures as him versus miles in his room and he stays home from work and finds out his mom is trying to sell the house what i thought it was gonna be some dubious scheme that grandma was involved in too but nope scott reports to grandma who gets super pissed and the mom then fesses up that she thinks Bob will leave her if he finds out how much debt she's in. She's thought it through, and she offers a senior living home near her in Arizona for Grandma. And then Scott's mad about this, but Grandma tells Scott that you know she makes the mom leave the room 
Barbara. And Grandma tells Scott that, you know what? This might be the idea to go with. That's still her daughter. She needs to help her out. Scott gets into it with his grandma about how she's taking it, about how he's taking care of her. It's his house, you know, da, da, da. and then she goes, you're taking care of me. What about you? Mm-hmm. Then he talks shit about his deceased grandfather being an alcoholic and she throws like a remote at his head and he gets mad. And he tells him he's suing them all and then goes into his room and just destroys it. Someone needs to tell Tommy was so that's how you tear up a room. This wasn't some like little toddler tantrum. This was a grown ass man destroying a room. But this... could you tell when it was done? <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about how bad it was before. So there okay. was just fewer stuff on shelves. Okay. That was really the difference. And there were fewer posters on the wall. We're back at the RPG store and it's Greg Goran Day. It's like the Rex Manning Day. Scott goes in and he's dressed in a tie. He dressed up for it, and he immediately goes to Peter, the manager who works there, and he apologizes to him for everything, but then quickly asks for his old job back, which Peter, and he's begging. Peter's like, oh, I see what this is. Okay. Peter says that they can talk after the Q&A about it. So there's a glimmer of hope in Scott's life. And then we, we see Peter had, like, Greg Gorin was, like, eating at their back office computers. Like, you're here that slow as shit. He's also watching the, the, the short that they made with, and we know that because we hear, Let's rock and roll! Maybe that, that's why they had that bad line calling so you could pick up on it every time you didn't see it. <laughs> well, it was very well placed. Congratulations, filmmakers. Scott sits in for the Q&A. And, is it just me, or do like, do all tabletop gaming stores look the same inside? Yes. Because, I mean... <laughs> There's the store, and then you go into that back room, and it's like, geez, this looks like 90% of gaming stores I've seen. Yes. Do you think that back room smells like more, more like crotch or armpit? It smelled like I, I'm, I'm guessing like you know old cardboard from Domino's pizza boxes. That's what I'm gonna guess. So, like. so that's so that's really the crotch trauma in this movie. Is the oh, smell there you go. Of Good job. Good job. He Scott sits down for it, and he sees his filmmaker friends, and they just look at him like with disgust. Greg Gorin gets to the stage, and he hands Pete a napkin as he comes up there, and he sits down. How do you want to do this? Uh, I thought you might have something you wanted to say before we got to the questions. No. Okay. Uh, questions then. Are there any questions? <laughs> it's just, I just, it's like, oh Jesus. People are asking him questions, and he's answering them, like, bluntly and crudely. And Scott... Well, well, what I liked about it was that they asked these, like, super detailed questions, and he never says, like, what are you, stupid? Like, that's enough of that. You know, like, like who cares about these details? Like, he has the answers for it. It's amazing. Scott's had his hand up the whole time, and Pete does not want to ask him. But he asks... He calls on Scott... And Scott asked a question about where uh, inspiration of a character came from because it seemed like she was a real person. And Goran seems to like that question. So she says, yeah, that's a good one. And then Scott doesn't stop, though. And then he tells the story about how his friends recently talked to him about taking the game too seriously. So Goran goes through and he's like, you know, well, you know, tells him at the end of the day it's just a game and to have fun, be it 20 hours of preparation or two. That does not sit well with Scott, who gets fired up. Gordon then tells him, if your players aren't having fun, you're not doing your job. To which Scott snaps back at him. Gordon then says, I think someone needs to get a life. And then Scott's p- 
pissed. He starts saying, you know, this sucks or whatever. And Pete throws him out of the store. And they spar off about Scott leaving until Pete says something about the store getting robbed because Scott was in the back stroking it to anime. And guess what? He's got tapes to prove it, and everybody in there has seen the tapes. Oh, my. <laughs> it's another thing that just, like, like, God, Scott, get it together. It's, it, it's another scene with a room full of people laughing at him. God, you, you can only get poked so much before you just you just go off. And that's really? What, yeah. Well, that's a poor choice of words, I suppose, yes. for poor Scott. But that does lead into what happens next. Scott, like, furiously leaves, and he drives off screaming about things. And then it's later at night, and he pulls into Miles' yard. He's dressed in a trench coat and crashes into, you know, his party that he's having. And there's a weird sort of, like, hipster party, pretty much. As soon as that door opened, I knew the rest of this scene. Like, I saw that, like, you mother fucking he asks people at the the keg or whatever where miles is and he tells them that he's his nemesis and he's offered a beer and he takes one which scott had mentioned earlier he's allergic to beer and one beer on him equals like five for anybody else i, th- I thought i think it was 10 or 10, 10 yeah, yeah 10 yeah and look at but you know it's scott which is crazy scott he's telling huge... us this it's scott telling he's, us he's this, a, so he's well i guess so but he is a huge dude so if that's accurate my God, thank goodness he's not any smaller. He'd be dead. Outside, Kendra notices Scott through the window in the kitchen and lets Miles know. Miles then immediately just, instead of doing something, calls Wayne to ask him to come to his house and come get Scott. And Wayne on the phone's like, wait, you're you're having a party? Uh. <laughs> and then in the living room, these guys are videotaping Scott, who's a little bit intoxicated, and laughing at him about it. They uh, love him. He, they, they, yeah, he thinks they do, yes. Yeah, and, oh, okay. and All he's right. talking about medieval times, ri- rivalries, and Miles approaches him, and then Scott then asks, where are the other game guys? Where are they at? One of Miles' friends then reminds Scott that he needs to challenge Miles to a duel, and Miles tells Scott that, you know, I don't, I don't want to fight you, to which Scott says, it'll just be a demonstration, and they hand them crutches, which Scott you know, brandishes as like a sword. Scott's like, eh, I'm not going to hurt him, and he points out pressure points. And he said, this is just for fun. And then they sword fight as Scott keeps telling him what pressure points he's going to swing at on his body. But Scott's a bit more intense, and Miles is scared shitless. Because he's he's got... Oh, my God. He's got a couple hundred pounds, you know, on him. And we saw him throw his weight around on Wayne earlier in the movie. Scott winds up falling into a table with everyone laughing at him. And then Scott threatens and fights him, Miles, furiously. But Miles... Knocks him into a couch. Like the first time that he knocks Scott down, uh, Scott says to Miles, you're just good at everything, aren't you? And that's what bothers Scott so much. Like effortlessly Mm -hmm. that, you know, Scott, he's really worked hard on the game and trying to keep some kind of relationship with the people that play the game. And then Scott can just stroll in and do it better than he ever could. He's known them for years. Miles just is just better at everything than he is instantly. It's just another layer to Scott's hostility. It takes 20 hours of prep for Scott to make a game where Miles could probably come up with it two hours for the game. Just how they their minds work. Miles just has stuff naturally come to him, and Scott has to work his ass off for it. Scott then turns around and he hits Miles over the head with a crutch. Uh oh. And then Miles' colors start showing. Real. Shit, I'm sorry, Miles. 
Punches Scott, and it falls to the ground. Starts kicking him on the ground. But guess what? Wayne has showed up to the party and jumps on the back of Miles, and then Miles throws him off and into a table. And Kendra points to Miles that he's missing a chunk of his hair, which Wayne has ripped out. When I looked at that, I couldn't tell if it was hair and scalp because it, it. Oh, it, it was, was probably weird. yeah. He ripped it. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it was a big. It wasn't just like he put his hand up to the back of his skull, like oh, there's blood. You saw like a raw part in the back of his mm-hmm. head. I was expecting there to be like a glass shard or something sticking out when she was pointing. Like he didn't realize it was there. Wayne just dipped into the reserves of his nerd rage and just Wayne's ripped. a badass. Miles then tells him, "Get the fuck out of my house, you goddamn nerds." <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I. I was hoping it wasn't going to go down that road where he right. was going to, you know, say something like that. But when it happened, it's like, okay, you're, there's no redemption for you. I don't care how nice you were to anyone the rest of the movie. You, you clearly were a tourist. And, and Scott was right about him the whole time. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? And on the way home, Wayne says, I can sleep over your house and then take you to get your car in the morning. He says he can talk to the guys and get them back in the game together because they won't want to hang out with Miles after he tells them about tonight. Scott asked him if he went out with the girl, and he says he did, but Scott was right, and she hasn't called. And Scott then apologizes, saying that he lied about all that because he needed someone to be more of a loser than him. I like that scene because a few minutes ago in the movie, you know, Scott pulls up to Miles' house, and if there wasn't a party there, I bet Scott would have killed Miles or, or hospitalized him. And, you know, it, it went from him being that hostile to him growing and just owning it. And it's like, I'm I'm sorry. I liked that. I thought that was really I good. really liked that one as well. Yeah. yeah. We then cut over to a, a senior home. He's hanging with his grandma there. And we find out that Scott now lives with his mother and, and Bob. And his mom and Bob fight all the time. And never they never go to see grandma ever. It's then revealed that Scott works at the senior home where he, he then sneaks into the game room and plays his game with the old folks there. And one of the old guys is like a Miles. He starts screwing around and he challenges him to roll a 20. Scott softens and says a 19. And as he rolls the dice, it spins. It spins and we close on Scott's eyes and he goes, oh, please, God, no. And then credits <laughs> and goth metal. <laughs> and that's, that's the movie. So it ends like Inception. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's the movie I couldn't think of. Because <laughs> oh. you just see the the dice spinning around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's absolutely how it ends. So, how do you take the ending? Did Scott eventually just piss off everyone again and have to go to Arizona, or he can't live on his own? He always needs a parent. He wants to be a dungeon master, but he always needs a game master in his own life. There's a few things that he just burned too many bridges back home. He can't really get a job anywhere he wants to. None of his people that he thought were his friends really want to talk to him. And his family's moved away. Like, well, 
what else does he have? So he, you know, he moves with them to Arizona and takes care of his grandmother. You know, and before even when Scott was saying that he took care of his grandmother, now he is actually taking care of his grandmother. Granted, he has to be paid for it, but he is. There is some growth there, and then he ends up playing, you know, or a you know a role playing game with these old people that at least one of them really was not into. It's kind of it's kind of mixed. There was growth. It's like two steps forward and one step back. Is kind of how it felt. You just ruined the end for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I looked at it. I I want to look at it through rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. I I look at it. Scott realized finally that he was taking all of this too seriously. Yes, he went with his family to Arizona, but he got a job. It's a yeah. real job. It's not, He's not working at the uh, Donut Taco Palace, too. He's actually helping people. And, and I look at his playing the D&D with the older people. Maybe he feels it like a penance as well. He is maybe forcing them to play D&D, but he's playing with people who normally wouldn't be having any sort of activity they're using their brain i'm just trying to look for the the rose-colored glasses well, and, on and you do see while he's playing yeah. that he's trying to lighten up about it mm-hmm. you can see there's a real effort it's hard for him to do that but you can see that he's trying to lighten up about it that's the way i am taking the end of the movie let's talk about scott and miles here let's talk about miles granted i think the movie's supposed to prove he's a tourist but i don't think he's a complete tourist I think he's just in a different spot. Yes, I think that's the movie kind of wants us to see that, but is it is it enough, or is he just one of them that managed well, to get somewhere with with what he's done? And I I, it's, I, I back and I really, forth on it. Yeah, I think the the party that's very telling of is, who he yeah. actually is. None of the you know gamers were there that are supposed to be his friends. But, I mean, that could be a work party. I don't know. But, I mean, none of the people that were there seemed, at least the ones that talked to Scott, seemed that nice that they were just using him, mocking him without, I'm not sure if Scott understood that or cared. At that party, before he sees Scott there, when we catch him out talking to people, he doesn't look near as happy or jovial as he is when he's with those guys playing the game. Granted, he's getting worshipped during that. Mm-hmm. But maybe none of these people worship. He's a talented comic book artist. He's got knowledge. I mean, he's thought out the Star Trek Millennium Falcon thing. Like, he's you know, he's come up with that before. He's had those conversations. I mean, maybe he, he's not into gaming as much. Maybe he's a poser with gamer. But I, I can't think he's not totally not a nerd. He's, I think he's just sort of embarrassed by what he likes. But And his only chance to really show what he cares about is with those guys. But he also Maybe has a he's... complex where he has to, like Scott, in a different way, has to feel better than them. And he's got a different kind of superiority complex. I mean, maybe he's well-rounded. Yeah, he has his gamer friends that he plays, you know, D&D with. Mm-hmm. But he also has his other friends who like to get together, sit around, drink wine, eat cheese. You know, you, you can yeah. have different friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe we're led to think he's a bad guy, but maybe he's really not a bad guy. Maybe that's part of the whole thing. Scott's not really a bad guy. Scott lives his life the way he does. Miles lives his life. And unfortunately, they, they have pulled the contrast between the two different you know, worlds or mindsets. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, those don't go together. When he plays, when Miles plays D&D, he likes to have fun. Hey, I know. Let's throw a sword at a guy's head. Ha ha. Whereas Scott says, that's just wrong. 
how can you do something like that? That will break the game. So, so maybe he's not a bad guy. And then everything just escalates at the house because all of a sudden you've got this great big guy swinging crutch at you. Maybe he mm-hmm. got to the point, and when he said, you know, you damn nerds, doesn't mean that he doesn't like those guys. At that point, that's just what pops out of him. Not that he necessarily thinks they're nerds, because he could be a nerd as well. I call nerds nerds all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking for the counterpoint here. I just think, yeah. I think for Scott's got the sort of nerd thing where it's not a disease, but disease like where he just can't help it. He can't okay. control everything. Like it's just in him. He can't get away from things. Whereas Miles is more in control of stuff. Oh, I can't play D and D tonight. No, that's fine. I won't do that. But like, if it were Scott, like, no, we are playing the game tonight. You can't, you know. Mm-hmm. And he can't think that way. He can't do it either way. I just Miles comes off as a complete asshole, and you know what he does is just what they needed was a conversation that went something like, hey. When we play this game, I don't really appreciate when you do these sort of things, and I know you want to have fun, but we can, you know, that conversation yeah, saves a lot if, of time. But between these two personalities, it's never going to happen. If Miles ever pulled Scott to the side, and so like you know, we gotta, you know, cool off. This is just a game. Instead of every time Miles calls Scott out, it's in front of people. Whenever that happens, it it turns into a room full of people laughing at Scott. Okay, you won me over. Miles is a jerk. Okay. <laughs> Whether intentional or not, if you just would have pulled him aside, that way we would have known, oh, okay, he is trying to be a good person. But the way it is now, like it's kind of gray. I, and I, th- I find it fascinating that we get such a repulsive, complete asshole character like Scott that we feel the sympathy for. We, we understand a bit. And it's a, a weird thing with this movie because we're almost like a Wayne here as an audience. Where we have to sit and deal with Scott, but then we also, you know, feel bad for him and stick around, like you know, kind of like I guess in the end we're, you know, we're on the side of Scott through it all. But... Yeah, because it's those emotional moments that we see when Scott's by himself that no one else sees, so they don't see those human parts of him. There was a critic quote that also called this movie the nerd version of Taxi Driver, and holy shit, hmm. it really is. Hmm. Especially in the, the breakdown in the end, go, charging into his house. See, I felt like it was uh, the foot the, the foot fist way, just with fewer quotable lines. It's kind yeah. of, you know, how I felt. Yeah, where it was close. funny, here, here, here's this person that's really built themselves up in their own mind, and then when others don't reciprocate that, he just kind of falls apart mentally. Yeah, no, I can see that too. But that has very taxi yeah. driver moments as well in that footless way. By night, he terrorizes the countryside, disguised as a wilderness. Scott! What? Come here and open this jar. God damn it. Now comes the point in the episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As we are called Cinema Cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our options are as follows. Stay with your family, which means you are definitely a Barbara. You want nothing to do with Scott and his silly little games he's been playing since he was 10. Converted, which means you're kind of like, I guess, a Miles. You're you're okay. You play your games sometimes, but you're not really heavily invested. And drink of the Kool-Aid. You are Scott and his fantasy epic created game. So, Jeff Chandler, how do you rate Zero Charisma? Let me roll my die, and let me see what I get here. 20! 20! (laughs) I am drinking the Kool-Aid. I love this movie. And and I think a big part of it is, which we talked about at the beginning, I can see myself in many of these characters. Plus, I also see people 
that I have played role-playing games with. To me, it's almost like going home again. It it touches my heart. I I do feel sorrow for Scott because of the way he goes through his life. But hopefully, like I said at the end, he has redeemed himself and he's figured out that I can be productive. I don't have to be this loner. But no, I mean, if you gave me like a gallon of Kool-Aid, I would chug it right now. Cullen. I love it. I think it takes uh, real talented storytellers to have a character like Scott who on the surface you should just immediately hate but you actually feel moments where you understand why he does what he does so that's um that's fantastic uh thing to do uh all the other characters are they feel real even though most of them are awful and you know like I said before it it really is an illustration of how bullies just make bullies, but it's not heavy-handed. So I, I, I'm going to say that I also drink the Kool-Aid on this movie. It's it's fun, and the, the people that created this movie know the world this movie exists in. Brandon, how do you rate Zero Charisma? It's called Zero Charisma, but it's got all the charisma in the world for like the geek nerd culture, everything like that. It gets so right. And like I said, I'm not a tabletop gamer. I've known and been friends with a lot of them. I've I've perused playing with it, but I, I have been in other geek circles with other things that you can easily relate to it. Like if you it might be the best movie about being a nerd ever made, the most honest one, at least. What what about Free Enterprise? Free Enterprise is great too. This is the (laughs) This is the this is the this is the gritty free enterprise, I guess. If you would, yeah, the grim dark free enterprise. There's a lot of, I mean, good things to get when things get it right. They're usually underseen movies, ha! Huh? Like free enterprise and you know, the TV show Freaks and Geeks. That one got a lot of stuff right. Uh, this one's this one's there too, but this one's brasher, harsher, and it's just, I mean, the movie's funny. It's relatable. It's darkly comedic. It's disturbing. It hits all the points. It, I mean, we've been raving about it all the way through. People need to see this movie if they're invested in this kind of thing, and because yeah, it just gets so much right. Like I guess that's the the overplayed line we've had this episode. It's like it gets this, it gets it all right, it gets it all right, which is a feat. So yeah, let's just have a pitcher of Kool Aid around the table because yeah, I yeah I'm definitely drinking the Kool Aid on this one, and I hope I hope that this podcast and our listeners you know get people to. It's not an old movie by any means, but maybe people can you know, find out about it because I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't really widely sold. I think it's a Nerdist was like a producer of the DVD I saw. It's not something I remember them promoting much at all. I wouldn't have heard about it if, if you hadn't have told me, so. You know, sometimes uh, on Cults of McHale, okay, we don't always do the, the really bad movies, the 80s movies, but sometimes we like to point out some relatable, you know, good movies that m- people may have missed over, and we this one definitely fit that bill. When I watched this movie, I thought, this is what Big Bang Theory doesn't get. Exactly, <laughs> it, yeah. Like, like, everything that someone says doesn't have to be a, a fucking reference. I've certainly had conversations where... The whole conversations are just references to other things, and that happens. Are you but referring not... to conversations we've had? Is that what you're saying? But you actually understand the stuff you're <laughs> referencing too. Oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah it actually makes sense within the conversation. It's not just a, a bunch of it's not just word salad of of references. You know. Yeah, this just uh, it, it felt true. I guess what I'm trying to say is go fuck yourself, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> A Big Bang Theory is like the varsity quarterback writing a show about geeks, and this is like a person like Scott writing his life story about, you know. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, 
it's real. It's real as the streets, motherfuckers. Aren't you supposed to be at work? I got the day off. Well, you just can't sit around eating cereal all day. Watch me. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, it's going to be in two weeks again. I know you got three in a row here. We'll be celebrating two years of our silly little show with a movie called Zardoz. A movie that needs no explanation. You know what you are, Zardoz. Scared. So scared. Thank you to everyone for listening in and tweeting at Neil Breen. Ha! You didn't think I was going to mention that, did you? Did you? Tweet Neil Breen, damn it. And thank you to Jeff for coming on. Hey, no problem. And thank, fun. and thank you for being a longtime listener of the show. First time joiner. Uh-huh. Yeah, first time Sorry. joiner. And you're also kind of like our own little like encyclopedia of Cults and the Cavalcade knowledge. Like yes, if, I'm, if I ever I'm for- the wiki. <laughs> you're the unofficial historian of the show. The historian yes, of the yes, show, yes. Thank you. Do you have any websites or anything you want to plug with True Dungeon? Well, uh, people can go out to truedungeon.com, check out all the cool pictures, all the, the things we sell, like tokens for the game. Go look at the forums and watch or, and see how people just rave about True Dungeon because it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. So, yes, thank you again, Jeff. We look forward to next time, but first, stay tuned for the trailer for Zardoz, the trailer that actually trails. into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. Ah! Tell me everything. My name is Zed. Bozandos, I am an exterminator.
the Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You can find more of Cullen's work on the Creative Zombie Studios Network and on Twitter at MyNameIsCullen. You can find more of Brandon's work at WhySoBlue.com and on Twitter at BTPeters. Podcast produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon. Narration by Becky. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf found on the freemusicarchive.org network. The movie in today's discussion is property of its respective studio and no infringement is intended. Please remember to leave us an iTunes rating and review. Join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade.